If you're watching online, I want you to do something quickly. So I want you to jump up and go to your bedroom and get your pillow. Just go get it and bring it with you and then sit and hug it while you listen to the sermon. Um, If you're in the room, sorry, you will find out what's going on in a minute. And when you get home, you can go into your bedroom and hug your pillow. Life is complicated. Life is complicated. And we Christians make it more complicated than it should be. I'm preaching the sermon this morning because of a burden I have about us as followers of Jesus and and the world we live in right now. When we struggle with, and and people say this to me, Pastor, I, I don't know whether I should handle this with love or with truth. They say, Pastor, I'm, I'm tired of, I'm tired of loving that person. It's time I spoke some truth to them. Or, 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 or people will say, that, that's not very loving. Yeah, but it is true. And, and we, we, we feels like we live in this world where we as followers of Jesus have created this idea that we have to choose between love and truth. And we often actually do that in, in the way we act towards people. We, we go from, from being loving to being truthful. And, and I think that we are making a huge mistake when we do that. And, and I, want to, I want us to talk about what that looks like. Even if it may sound up front really controversial, because let's not get ourselves, you get around social media at the moment. It's a big thing, eh? You know, the truth about this pandemic or that war or this. And, and people either, yeah. Often people leave their spiritual families because they're unhappy because they haven't been loved enough. Or sometimes they leave because they feel like the truth is not spoken there. And so it's really important for God's people to get this right. This love versus truth. Some people are tempted to like, well, neither of those are important, so let's let it go. You know, we'll worry about other stuff. No, they're not. Those two things are incredibly important, especially for followers of Jesus. Love and truth are incredibly important. If you look in your English Bible, I looked in the, in the NRV UK version, the word love appears 686 times. The word truth appears 137 times. And I think if we looked into the Greek and Hebrew original languages, that those words or words that mean truth or love would be there even, uh, truth or, or love would be there even more. The Bible is full of teaching about truth and love. But its importance isn't just illustrated by the fact that the Bible talks a lot about it. But it's also important because of the things that the Bible says about those two things. Listen to what it says in 1 John 4 verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So people love the second part of that. God is love. Now, it's important to know that God has attributes. Many, All of us have attributes, but because God is a person, he has attributes. 
and, and every one of us have primary attributes, what we are in our core, and then secondary attributes, which are things that we are because we're other things. So one of God's primary attributes is love. It's, it's, it, some would argue it is his most primary attribute. And it's always good to know that. I mean, it's, you know, it's very comforting. God is love. I'll be okay. You know, God is love. I can do anything I like. God is love. Accepts everybody. That the first half is the problem, isn't it, of that verse? Whoever does not love does not know God. No pressure. But that's what it says. You see, that's how important the love of God is. It's not just a characteristic that God has. It's something that we as followers of Jesus must live out. It's something that we as followers of Jesus need to take very, very seriously, not in an intellectual sense of awesome God is love, but in the sense of whoever does not love does not know God. And so it's something we have to not just know, but something we have to live and something we have to do. So love is really important. But truth is no less important. Listen to what it says in John 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Again, it's one thing to intellectually know Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But there's consequences there. And the consequence is this, because I am those things, because those are characteristics of who I am, there are consequences. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so the truth is that we can't deal with the truth versus love debate or the struggle that we have by ignoring those two things because they are fundamentally part of who we are as followers of Jesus because truth and love is fundamentally part of who God is in his character. But I don't want to present simple answers to you here because here's... Here's something that I know. Truth is hard for humans. Truth is hard for humans. Truth is hard to know. You only have to get onto a social media debate with somebody around almost anything these days. Russia-Ukraine war. Corruption in our country, the pandemic, face masks versus not face masks. To know that truth is hard to know. If you, if you get serious about any kind of scientific discovery, you, you know that, that, that one discovery leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. And to know truth is hard enough because there's so much to know, but it's also hard because there's so many different nuances to almost everything we experience in our lives. 
But truth isn't just hard to know, it's often hard to accept. Especially when the truth is not something we used to believe. I, I, I experience that as pastor all the time. That, that we, people are confronted by certain kinds of truths and we, we just don't want to accept them. And if you, if you look at the history of the world, truths come out. I, you know, people were once persecuted by the church for saying that the, the earth revolves around the sun or that the earth wasn't flat. And it took years for people who are in connection with God, apparently, to accept those truths. Truth is hard to accept. It's especially hard when we discover a truth that overrides a previous truth that we thought was true and we have to change our minds about something. It is so fun to, to do research on this and to discover that gardeners, you know, people who garden, deny the truth about certain genuses of flowers. Certain flowers fitted into certain categories and then as scientists discovered more things, they wanted to move their categories from this to that. And oaks that grew chrysanthemums lost their minds. They lost their minds. And, and so the scientists had to go, well, okay, we'll, we'll make an exception to the truth here because gardeners apparently can get quite aggressive. It's just so hard to admit when we're wrong. I'll illustrate that for you. I want to talk about your pillow now. I'm going to tell you some things about your pillow that's on your bed at home. And I hope that you guys online are hugging your pillows. Your pillow has probably upwards of 40,000 bed mites in it. Now, these aren't bed bugs. Those are different. Bed bugs are quite big. You can see them. Bed mites are tiny. You can't see them. But about 40,000 or so are living in your pillow right now. Just so that you know that. They are there to feast off the sebaceous oils that your body gives off while you sleep, as well as all the dead skin that's coming off you. And they are just chowing down on it. They absolutely love it. This is just your pillow. Your bed has about 2 million of them in. I'm just telling you this now. But you go, well... It's okay because I clean my pillowcase regularly. I want you to know that they're not in your pillowcase, they're in your pillow. And even if you've got 800 thread count Egyptian cotton pillowcases, they are so small that your, that thread is like the rigging of a sailing ship to them. They don't even have to squeeze through it, they just walk through it. In fact, if your pillow is six years old, which apparently, according to John Maunder, Dr. John Maunder of the British Medical Entomological Center, who did the counting on this issue, the average pillow is about six years old. And just so that you know, 10% of the weight of a six-year pillow is made up of living mites, dead mites, mite dung, and the skin that's come off your face while you've been sleeping. (laughs) 
truth is hard for humans. It's hard to know. Did you know that we only discovered that stuff in about 1964? We were able to get people into space before we were able to see bed mites because of science. So they've been there right through all of history and will continue to be there. But, but truth is hard to know. And, and by the way, those bed mites have things living on them too, just by the way. Somewhere there's a bed mite pastor preaching a sermon and the guy's freaking out. <laughs> truth is hard to accept. Some of you are going, oh, good, no, what am I going to do when I get home? We, we should have sold pillows after church, eh? It's hard to accept. Some of us are going, not me. Not me. We do that all the time with truth, don't we? We know for a fact that seatbelts make us safer. But we choose not to put them on. Not me. Not me. And then it's hard to admit we were wrong. I know you thought you were clean. You are. You're just not as clean as you thought you were. And that's just the truth. Now, if that's hard for us to process as ordinary, you know, scientific facts, what about eternal truths? What about the truths of God and who he is? And what he wants from us. And the truth about ourselves and our natures. If those ordinary scientific factual truths are hard, how much harder is the truths that are eternal for us as human beings? No wonder we struggle so much with them. And we should. But I'll get to that. Truth is hard to know. It's hard to accept and it's hard to admit when we've been wrong. But love is no easier for humans, truthfully, than truth is. We humans struggle with love. We struggle to love. Part of the reason for that is we almost always associate love with, with an emotion, a feeling. And, and that's not the primary driver of love. That is a secondary factor in love. It's not primary. Love is a verb before it is an emotion. It's something we do, not something we feel. And so we struggle with it. Jesus understands that. And he says this to a group of people. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. It's pretty easy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for them. Pray for those who persecute you. I mean, Jesus is now, he's saying, I know love is hard. It almost feels like he's now making it harder. You can't just love the people you like, the people around you, the people that are like you. You need to love your enemies. Isn't it so much easier at the moment to feel some kind of love for the Ukrainians and not to feel that for the Russians? Or to feel something for the political party we affiliate to, but not for the other one. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not talking about how you feel. He's talking about how we act towards people. That love is something that we have to be prepared to give to everybody. That passage 
It makes it hard because he ties something into it. At the end of that piece of Matthew chapter 5, he says this, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Oh, no pressure. So he's, he's tying in this pursuit of love to the perfection of God. What's lovely about that is, is that he doesn't say be instantly perfect. The Greek there says become perfect. Be on the journey to perfection. But it doesn't take away the fact that love is fundamentally important but incredibly hard. Eugene Peterson says this about love. Love is the most context-specific act in the entire spectrum of human behavior. There is no other single human act more dependent on and immersed in immediate context. A dictionary is worthless in understanding and practicing love. Acts of love cannot be canned and used off the shelf. Every act of love requires creative and personal giving, responding, and serving appropriate to, context-specific to, both the person doing the loving and the person being loved. Now, that's quite a mouthful. This is what this means. You ever watch, as an outside observer, you sit at, at kids and coffee, and you watch a parent with a kid, and, and the kid does something, and the parent posts it on Instagram. Oh, my kid just being so cute. What a gorgeous child. So full of energy and, and robust and lovely. And then kid over there does exactly the same thing that that kid did. And the parent goes, my goodness me. I wish that parent could get control of that brat precocious little, who does it think it is? Same actions. Opposite response. Why? Because love is context-specific. Love is context-specific. Not just to the one doing the loving, but the one being loved as well. That kid is cute. My kid is cute. Your child is revolting. <laughs> love is hard. Love is Hard for humans. But if it's that important, what should we do about it? What can you and I as God's children do about this whole love versus truth struggle that we all have all the time? Well, here's the first thing we have to do is stop the competition. Stop the competition. Stop trying to decide, should I respond in love or should I respond in truth? Because, because you're on a hiding to nowhere. You, you're never going to get it right. And I'll tell you why you're never going to get it right. Because not, none of us can love perfectly or none of us can know the truth perfectly. So we're comparing two things that we, don't, that we know nothing about. And we're trying to decide which one to use. But there's a much bigger reason why we should stop the competition. And it's this. John 1 verse 14 gives us this clue. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Now I know that the word love isn't used there. 
but grace is also one of the attributes of God. And it's an attribute that comes from the love of God. The primary attribute is love. One of the secondary attributes is grace. And so essentially this word is saying that when Jesus came, he was full of love and truth. And in God, there's no contradictions. So God never wakes up one morning and says, I'm going to deal with this person based on truth this morning. Because I've done this love gig with them and they just won't listen. So now I'm going to truth them right. God never does that. Because God doesn't have conflicts in his character. He always approaches us, always with all love and all truth. There is no competition in God between love and truth. And therefore you and I as human beings, as God's children need to, to, to wean ourselves away. I mean, I know why we do it. We do it because, because some people are annoying and irritating and we don't want to love them. And so we've got this convenient other category called truth. And so, so we go, well, I, I can't love this person anymore, so I'm going to truth them now. And that's why we do it. Or... We go, oh, no, that, that truth is hurting this person, and I really love this person, so I want to protect them from the truth. And we can't do that because our Heavenly Father doesn't do that to us. He doesn't set up a truth versus love competition, neither in his nature nor in the way he approached the world. And so we must stop trying to decide, should I do truth here or should I do love here? I've got to do both of them to the best of my ability all the time. The second thing we need to do is we need to get into a right relationship with truth. And what I mean by that is we must, before we pursue truths, because there's a lot of truths out there, millions and millions of them, and because we're human, sometimes we encounter them and they seem to be competing with each other because we don't know everything. Before we pursue truth, truths, we must pursue the truth. We must pursue the truth. John 8 verse 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What is Jesus saying there? He's saying, when you come to me, you're not going to know all the facts. You're not going to know the objective truth about everything. You're not. But you're going to know me. And I embody all truth. I embody all truth absolutely. And, and being free won't mean you know all the facts and all the truth about everything. In fact, it's quite interesting to see that often the more people know, the less free they feel. Jesus says, no, no, if you know me, you're going to be set free. You're going to be set free because you will know the truth. It's not facts that set us free or superior knowledge over other people that set us free. It's knowing Jesus that sets us free. And so we, we must pursue Jesus, 
before we pursue facts. Now, that doesn't mean we mustn't pursue those other truths. We mustn't. We must. The Bible tells us we must know that. We must do that. But we must always do it through the lens of Jesus, through him, not through our own knowledge and cleverness. Pursue the truth before we pursue truths. Secondly, trust the truth to teach the truth. John 16, 13, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what, it, what is yet to come. As I've researched this sermon, it, it pains me how often people set up science and God in opposition to each other, and it boggles my mind. And the truth is, the millions of scientists out there who make discoveries like they did long ago when they discovered that the earth wasn't flat, that seem to, to go against what we accept as truth from Scripture, and, and, and we freak out. Rather than going, no, God is teaching us something about the world here. We may not fully understand it. We may not be able to reconcile it right now. But Jesus can reconcile it because he knows it. He, he knows all things. And we must teach him. We must trust him to teach us truth. Because that's why the Holy Spirit has come into the world. So that we can be guided into the truth that God wants us to know. There's lots of other truths that we don't actually, actually ever need to know, other than just pure curiosity. But those truths that we have to know about who God is, how much he loves us, he promises us he will guide us into all the truth. So we must pursue truth, the truth of who Jesus is. But when it comes to love, what do we do about that? Well, the first thing we have to do is to know love. We almost always start with trying to love. But the Bible says that's not where you should start. You should start with being loved. John 1, uh, 1 John 4 verse 10 says, This is love, that we loved God. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as a, an atoning sacrifice for our sin. We have to start by knowing that God loves us. It's hard to love other people when we are not loved. It's hard. And the, the starting place is to, is to acknowledge that we, not that we deserve, yeah, we do deserve love. Do you know why we deserve love? Not because we've earned it, but because God created us as human beings to be loved by him. We haven't earned it, but we deserve it because God made us like that. It's not about us, it's about him. And, and if we're going to love, we have to let God love us. We have to be willing to admit that we are not together that we can't save ourselves, that we are broken, and that the God of the universe does and will always love us. 
We have to start there. And then we have to learn how to love. Now, here's one of the things that I find a bit annoying about the Bible. It's this, is that God almost refuses to give us a checklist of how to love. In fact, he doesn't. Why? Because love is the most context-specific thing any human being can do. That list would have to be infinitely long for every human relationship that there ever was. But how do we love? Well, the Bible says this. 1 John 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. You want to know what love is? Well, look at Jesus. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's what love is. And we see it easily. I watch parents lay down their lives for their children all the time. I watch spouses lay down their lives for each other all the time. And it's beautiful when it's reciprocated. But it doesn't mean I can't do it with other people in other places. It's not just about the people I feel good about. It's about all the people God brings across my path. My path. We ought to lay down our lives. If, we, if we're going to know how to love, and if we're going to know the truth, this is what we have to do. We have to know Jesus. We have to know Jesus but not just about Jesus, not just that he saved us, but who he is in, in the way he lived on this earth. I think the two biggest enemies of both truth and love are these two things, pride and fear. Pride and fear. Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. When we when we. When we display pride, we stop ourselves being loved. When we, when we display pride, we stop ourselves from learning. We go, I, I know better than you. And when we're afraid, we're afraid to be loved because we're going to get hurt. We're afraid to love because maybe we'll get exploited. Yes, maybe we will. But Jesus didn't allow either pride or fear to stop him loving every human being in the world. And to know truth and to know love, it starts by knowing Jesus. Secondly, it means we must love Jesus. We must pursue our love for Jesus with all that we have. It means that we have to learn to obey Jesus. When he tells us to do this or that, or to be like this or that, we have to learn to obey Jesus. And to do that, we have to listen to Jesus. Can't do this in a vacuum. Can't do this based on a Sunday school lesson we had 20 years ago. We have to do this by listening to Jesus all the time. And I want to tell you that I've just added a point to the sermon while we were singing earlier on. The first group didn't get this. How do we do this love outwardly. We speak Jesus. We speak Jesus. And I don't mean just saying Jesus' name all the time. That's magic. That's not a real thing. It means when we encounter people, we encounter them like Jesus would encounter them. And, and 
let me say this. For those of you who are scared it means we're going to be nice to people all the time, it's not. Jesus sometimes was very not nice to people. He said things to them that they definitely didn't want to hear. He got quite cross with them. But he always loved them, and he was always truthful with them. Always, always. Because he's Jesus. The first step in dealing with truth and love is for you to know that you are loved by God. That's the whole truth. The second step is this. Let Jesus love you and then speak Jesus to other people. That will, will bring truth and love perfectly together every time. Not because we can do it, but because God can do it and is doing it in and through every one of us. There's no competition between truth and love because there's no competition in God because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus came full of grace and truth and he gives that as a gift to every one of us. Let's stand and pray together. God, thank you. Thank you that we can never know all the facts and we can never make any of the judgments, but we can know the truth. Lord, we acknowledge we will never be able to love perfectly, but we can love you. And we, can, and we can accept your love for us. God, as your children, in every situation, please help us to be full of grace and truth. To pursue love and truth in a relationship with the Savior of the world, with the King of King and the Lord of Lords. Lord, may we be a church that speaks Jesus everywhere we go. And now to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you perfect before his presence with great joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. And all God's people said, amen. God bless.